fam, let's find our seats this morning. Hey, can we give it up for uh, for Jackson Dorsey and that? Um, I, just, I love that. Love getting to see um, people of all ages, but specifically young people, make a decision, the most important decision that you can make with your life, and that's to trust and follow Jesus, and then to go public with that, uh, to be cheered on and supported by his church family and his parents, and his family is such a big deal. Uh, That's awesome. How's everybody doing today? I like it. A little more energy. Everybody got an extra hour of sleep. That's right. Everybody's feeling pretty good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Kentucky and Louisville both won yesterday. Good job, good job, way to go team, go fight, win. Uh, Hey, I just need to tell you, like, I've been super, super pumped for this series and getting this series started. Um, I I was talking with with Patrick this morning, and I just asked him, you know, as as also a fellow preacher, have there ever been moments and, like, sermons that you've over-prepared for? And we were like, yeah, yeah. So I just need to tell you, I read, like, four books this week, and none of them had pictures. Um, so I've got a lot to say, and, um, and I forgot to switch the timer over to sermon, so I have no idea how much longer I've got. So um, we're going to pray, and we're going to dive right in. Everybody's like, great, Brad, thanks. It's like, you'll be home by dinner, I promise. Um, let's dive in. Jesus, we love you this morning, and we are super excited to unpack your word and your truth, especially as it relates to your Holy Spirit. The spirit that is alive in this room, and just like we sang, Holy Spirit, you don't, we don't need to send an invitation to you because you're already here, but we do. We say you're welcome in this place. You're welcome in this atmosphere. You fill this a- atmosphere. Flood, your, flood this place with your presence, our lives, our hearts. Uh, we want to experience the goodness that you have uh, for us, what you desire for us when it comes to, to life. And so, God, we say thanks. We say thanks for sending your spirit to, to live not only with us, but within us. Um, not to just live um, around us, but among us. Uh, Father, we're just so grateful that we have this thing that unites us all together. The fact that, uh, that though we are different in so many ways, your spirit is what brings us together. Uh, and so today, Lord, we just say thank you, and we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And everybody said, amen. All right, so um, last week, a couple weeks ago, I got the opportunity to go uh, with my family on fall break. We took our kids to Disney because we thought, you know, they're 8 and 11. This might be one of the last times we go where they're kind of into it. In fact, like when we told them, we thought we were going to surprise them. And we're like, hey, we're going to Disney World. And they're like, eh. I'm like, <clears throat> yeah, it was one of those like, like, I, you know, I worked three and a half months of my life coaching soccer to pay for this Disney trip, so you better have fun, right? Um, but Disney, you know, they claim to be the most magical place on earth, and it really is. It's a place where if you go into it and you suspend reality for a few days, you just go with it, right? So we know, those of us that are grown-ups, right, the rides are mostly like smoke and mirrors. It's animatronics, right? It's clever optical illusions. It's super high-def video screens that make the unbelievable things seem believable, but we kind of know what's really going on behind the scenes. And Disney spares no expense when it comes to that kind of magic, and we know this because a Mickey pretzel and a Diet Coke cost $1,000, right? Um, But there's one place, of all the things you can do at Disney, there's one place, there's one experience that's kind of more magical than the others, and that's these character breakfasts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody that got, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. For the low, low price of your firstborn child, you can eat breakfast with Disney characters. You can get up close and personal with Mickey and Donald and Goofy and Pluto. Now, I told you, my oldest is 11, Jack is 11, and, you know, he kind of gets it, and he's, you know, grown up, and he has even kind of a grown-up personality. 
Those of you that have met my youngest and know my youngest, Cash, you know that places like Disney are made for dudes like this. And so we took our kids one morning to a character breakfast, uh, and Cash did not know that I was filming this. So I just want you to take a look at his response uh, to, the, uh, to the character breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Didn't have, had no idea that, that that he that I was recording. That was just Cash in his natural habitat, right? When a when a pantsless duck that's apparently a sailor comes around the corner, that's how excited Cash gets. Now, here's the thing, kids. If there's kids in the room, earmuffs, right? We know that's not really Donald Duck, right? It's I know, what. It's a person in a suit. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that it's a person in a suit? What makes us so confident that that it's a person? Here's how we know. If it were a real cartoon duck, right? If it were a real cartoon duck, there would be no reason to show fear when it came to cash in that moment, right? But any logical, like, red-blooded human being, when they round the corner and see this, Wait, it gets closer. Wait, just wait, just wait. When they round the corner and see that, they would have done the exact same thing that that person in the Donald Duck costume did and went, nope. Like, I'm giving that kid a wave from at least 10 feet away, right? And you watch that duck in that video, he turns around and gets out of that place as fast as he can, right? That's like, that, that is not a cartoon duck response. That is a human flight response to danger, right? right? That, the person in that costume had to be thinking, I'm going to go get my picture taken with a kid that's covered in syrup, right? Because there's a 1,000% chance that if I get my picture taken with this kid that I'm less likely to get hurt than if I approached whatever cash was in that moment, Right? But here's the thing, what's meant to appear supernatural on the surface, typically for us, right, is really something that is natural, understandable, explainable, something that we can wrap our brains around. And when we talk about things that are supernatural, this is what we mean. According to Webster's Dictionary, supernatural means this. It means of or relating to an order of existence that's beyond the visible or observable universe, right? That's kind of what, when we think of supernatural things, that's kind of what, and that's the definition. It means it's, it relates to things that, that are beyond the visible. Like, we, they're invisible. They're, they're different, right? It's beyond what we can observe. It's, it's departing from what is usual or normal, especially, like, to appear to transcend the laws of nature, like a seven-foot duck, right? Or it's this. It's, 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 it's attributed to some sort of invisible agent, such as a ghost or a spirit. That's how... Webster's Dictionary defines the word supernatural, but when it comes to things that that are meant to appear supernatural, we as people usually find ourselves in one of two places. We kind of lean towards two two conclusions. One is supernatural things aren't real. They're just not real. There's got to be some sort of logical explanation, right? And the second thing is this, is things that appear supernatural are are at best understood as a symbolic representation of something that's totally natural, explainable, logical, and rational. And again, like earmuffs, right? Mickey Mouse isn't real. He's a cartoon mouse that's become the symbolic representation of an entertainment company and a theme park where we go to have fun. We're not supposed to believe that there's a six-foot mouse on the loose terrorizing people in a theme park in Orlando, right? That would make national news. Like, there's a six-foot mutant mouse that's just following people on roller coasters, right? You'd hear about that. Now, here's the thing. 
That's not that big of an issue when it's related to things like cartoon characters and theme parks. But what happens when things that are supernatural collide with faith and theology? When we talk about faith and theology, theology is this. It's what we believe to be true about God. That's theology. What we believe and understand to be true about God. What happens when things that are supernatural begin to collide with that? How do we explain this? How do we understand this? What happens when things that are supernatural collide with our faithfulness? Faithfulness is all about how we live. See, faith is what we believe in, but faithfulness is how we live based on what we believe in, right? How do we as people bend and shape our lives around the supernatural that we tend to believe in? If we've got a hard time buying into the supernatural when it comes to everyday life, what are we supposed to do when it comes to the supernatural aspects of God and what we believe about him? And how we build our lives, like we talked about for the last two months. We talked about this in our, our, our House on Fire series. How do we, what do we do with the supernatural when it comes to building our lives on the truth of Jesus? And here's the deal. In 2021, I read this this week. In 2021, the Barna Research Group, if you don't know who Barna is, it's a research group that they kind of study and poll and survey church things, right, as it relates to faith and faithfulness in, in, all over the world. They, they surveyed in 2021, just a couple of years ago, they surveyed 2,000 active churchgoers across the United States. Now, here's the deal. When I say 2,000 active churchgoers, I'm not talking about Christerins, right? And you know who you are. You show up at Christmas and Easter, right? Like that's not what you don't show up twice a year. We're talking about regular churchgoers, people that attend church week in, week out, and are involved, are unplugged in. We're talking active, plugged in church people. Now, when it comes to the supernatural, Things that, again, go back to our definition, things that are beyond the visible and observable universe, things that depart from what's usual or normal, things that transcend the law of nature. Here's where these Christians land. 78%, which I have no idea why it's this low, 78% say that they strongly believe in God and that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and is the ever-present creator of the universe that still rules today. Now, I'm sure... Most of us here, sitting here today, would probably say the same thing. We would believe this, right? We would strongly agree, or at the least would say we agree, right? Here's what, they, here's what else they said. 85% of those that were surveyed a couple of years ago said that they believe in Jesus, that he was God's son, that he lived a human life, died a human death, and was raised back to life. Much higher. It's a much higher percentage. I don't know, maybe it's because we can read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus' biographies, right? We can read the story of Jesus, and so maybe he's just a little easier for us to wrap our arms around. After all, Jesus is God with skin on. He's easier for us to understand. But that same group of people that had pretty strong beliefs in the Father and pretty strong beliefs in the Son said this, 58% of them said that they do not believe that the Holy Spirit is a living and active force, but is instead a symbol or a reminder of God's power and presence, but not a living entity. And an additional 9% weren't sure. Like, we don't know. And I think, I said this last week when I was kind of setting up this series and kind of previewing this, I think that's where a lot of us probably sit. Because the church doesn't really talk about this. Right, we, we, we tend to not talk about things that we can't explain really well. We tend to not talk about things that, that are difficult. We tend to kind of skirt around or avoid subjects and topics that, that maybe are, are hard to kind of help people understand. And so I think probably a lot of us may sit in this place of going, you know, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. I, I don't know. But what we would say is this, God the Father, yep, I can get my head around that. 
Like Jesus the Son, no problem. Like we can read about his life, right? We know that. Holy Spirit, don't understand it. Don't understand it. And maybe for some of us that leaves us, leads us to a place of going, I'm not sure that I can believe in it. And if you're keeping score at home, here's what it means. 67%. If you take those two numbers and add them together, 67%, which means over two-thirds of active church-going Christians two years ago claimed that they do not believe in the reality of the Holy Spirit. And so as I read that and I thought about this this week and, and kind of what to unpack today, what I realized is this, church, we have a supernatural problem. We have a supernatural problem. And here, here it is. We don't believe in it. We don't believe in things that are, that are supernatural. Or at best, what we do is we kind of write things that are supernatural off to just kind of being a symbolic representation of something that we find easier to believe in. And yet on one side of the coin, we read this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul tells us that, that our struggle, the things that we struggle with, the resistance that we encounter day in and day out, it's not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that word heavenly is a Greek word for spiritual. The spiritual forces of evil in the spiritual realms. And we talked about this in our last series. Like the greatest threat to our lives isn't political. It's not geographical. It's not, it's not governmental conflicts. It's not world conflicts. It's not cultural. It's not societal, right? Uh, the greatest threat to our lives is spiritual. Now, those things play themselves out in politics and in government and in culture. But we ha- what we have to remember is that the root of all of that struggle is spiritual. Like we said, you know, back, back in the middle of our, our series, we talked about the fact that, that, that Satan, our enemy has specific plans for each one of us. He is an intelligent and organized being. And he has specific plans for each one of us to steal from us, kill us, and destroy us. That is his desire. He, ha- he knows who you are, and he has a plan to take you and your family down. Right? That's the threat. The threat is spiritual in nature. Yet, on the other side of the coin, read this in Romans 8, Paul tells us that likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S, helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know to pray for as we ought, the Spirit himself intercedes, which means this. The word intercession or interceding means that you stand in the same place with the other person. You can't intercede from a distance. See, a lot of times when we, when we want to kind of like parachute out of an awkward conversation with someone that's going through a hard time, the Christian way to get out of a conversation is to go, hey, I'll pray for you. All right? It's like, oof, I'm glad that's over. Right? But, but interceding means this, that I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray with you, standing in the same mess that you're in. Not from a distance, not from far away. So the Spirit gets into the same mess that we are in and prays for us with groanings too deep for words. And here's the truth, right? The source of the struggles that we face, it's supernatural and it's spiritual. And at the same time, the answers and the help and the hope we need in the midst of all of this, and the only way we can make it through is also supernatural and spiritual. And so for me, this was the conclusion I I, kind of came to when I was studying and preparing for today. It was this, no wonder so many of us, myself included, from time to time feel helpless and joyless. We're, We're watching the world fall apart by the minute, and as we start to kind of discount or explain away things that are spiritual and supernatural, it feels like there's not anything we can do about it. 
See, the disconnect with the spiritual and the disassociation from things that are supernatural leave us feeling sometimes like we jumped out of an airplane without a parachute. And meanwhile, the truth is this. Supernatural battles aren't fought by natural means. And supernatural hope and supernatural help aren't found in ways that make sense to our logical and rational brains. And so that's why we're going to spend the next four weeks, right, talking about digging into and learning about the Holy Spirit. Now today, let me just tell you, it's going to be a lot of setup, okay, for, for the next three weeks. Today's going to be kind of like a Holy Spirit 101 class. So the way we take notes at Adventure, if you're new here, the way we take notes is just take a picture of the screen, right? So kind of get your phones ready because there's going to be a lot to talk about today. We're going to dig into this. Now, here's the thing. Before we dive in, I want to share something. I got permission to share this story. Uh, I had someone this week ask me, right, after I talked a little bit about this series last week as we were wrapping up House on Fire, they asked me this question. So we're going to be talking about the supernatural and the Holy Spirit. Brad, is our church going to get weird? And I said, well, well, what do you mean by weird? And they said, you know, like, like some of the other churches that we see, they do crazy things, like they bring out snakes and they speak in tongues and they like heal people up on stage. And my answer was, well, we're not going to do that on week one, but like week three or four. Like Matt's preaching on week three and he's totally into that, right? But, but <laughs> here, here's the truth, okay? When it comes to supernatural things and things that are spiritual in nature, we don't and we can't fully explain or understand. When we can't fully explain or understand something, here's what we try to do. We tend to try to fence it in. We tend to try to contain it. We tend to try to categorize it because if we can put it in a container, if we can put it in a category, then it makes us feel safer. It's more comfortable when things that are supernatural and spiritual kind of stay at arm's length and are contained in some sort of category that we can understand. And in the church... Things that are supernatural get kind of put in this box of maybe charismatic worship styles, right? Charismatic worship styles, you know, which is this, the, the people who are expressive in worship, right, they have their hands raised, right, they dance, those kinds of things. Like maybe things that are supernatural get kind of categorized, well, that's just a different worship style. Or maybe it gets put in the category of like Pentecostal denominations, there's this group of believers over there that believes in stuff like prophecy and visions and word from the, words from the Lord, things like that. We kind of put it in a category. Why? Because then we can explain it. Or then at least we can kind of stay at arm's length away from something we don't understand. Or the supernatural gets dumbed down and explained through this lens of like sensationalism. It's just, it's just emotional manipulation. Right? Things that are spiritual and supernatural, it's, it's, just, it's just this exaggeration of feelings. Or maybe it's, it's just an experience. It's nothing more than that. Or maybe we try to create theological stances like cessationism, where the acts of the Holy Spirit, there's people that believe this, the acts of the Holy Spirit just cease to happen when Jesus' apostles died. That the actions and the, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit and the way that we see it in the Bible, that that stopped when, when the last apostle died. But Here's the honest answer to the are we going to get weird question. If leaning into the truth of the supernatural that we see unpacked in Scripture, that we see displayed through the power of God in the Old Testament and what we see preached and promised by Jesus in the Gospels and then what we see lived out by everyday average normal people like us in the New Testament, then the answer to your question is yes, we're going to get weird, right? Because here's the thing. 
we need people tuned in. We need to be a church that is tuned in to the wavelength of the spiritual and the supernatural because it is a part of the with God life. Now, here, I'm going to say this. Here's the bottom line, and I'm going to step on some toes, and I get that. I'm not afraid of that, right? Not having a space, let me just say this, not having a space in our lives for things that are spiritual and supernatural and for us as believers in Jesus to say that we do not believe in the Holy Spirit, here's what that means. It means that you are living outside of the with God life that God desires for us and that Jesus makes possible. You're living outside of that. You're not fully into, you haven't stepped fully into the with God life that God desires for you and Jesus makes possible through his life and his death and his resurrection. You're living outside of that. Not living our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. That means that we are living outside of the mission of the gospel of Jesus. We cannot step into the mission of the gospel without the Holy Spirit. We cannot say that we are a part of that mission, the rescue mission that Jesus invites us into for all of humanity. We cannot say that we're a part of that outside of the Holy Spirit. And it also means this, we're living outside of the only means of pulling off that mission that Jesus commissioned, to, commissioned us to, which is to make disciples of everyone. If we discount the Holy Spirit, we can't do that. I heard one preacher say this, if you claim to know the Father and you claim to know the Son, but you don't claim to know the Spirit, then you have no idea who God really is. I think that's powerful, and I believe that to be true. And that's why today we're going to spend the rest of our time together really getting to know the Holy Spirit. And just so we can kind of level set expectations, like I said, today's going to be a ton of setup for where we're going for the next three weeks. But you're going to have to make sure that you come back, because what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of form a base for us to launch off of together. So grab your Bibles, if you've got your Bible or Bible app, open to Genesis chapter 1, okay? I want to answer really one or two questions today, and that's this. Who is the Holy Spirit? Like, that's when we leave today, when you walk out of this place today, I want you to feel like you can answer this question. Who is the Holy Spirit? But, but in order for us to do that, in order for us to answer this question, we first have to answer the question, what is the Holy Spirit? And to do that, we've got to look at the very first time that we meet and encounter the Holy Spirit in Scripture, and it's on page 1. Genesis 1 Verse 1, here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit, notice that, capital S, it's the Hebrew word ruah, which means this, wind or presence. But it refers to things like energy and vitality. We're going to come to back, back to that here in a minute. It says this, that the Spirit of God, capital S, the ruah, was hovering over the face of the waters. So this, church, is the first time that we meet the Holy Spirit. This is the first time that the Holy Spirit shows up and takes action. It's in the second verse of the Bible. The Holy Spirit appears in verse 2 of the entire thing. Now, this might be hard to picture, but let's try, right? Before anything existed, before anything that, that exists was ever created... We, you have over this kind of dark and formless and shapeless and lifeless void, we find the Holy Spirit. Again, I told you the Hebrew word is ruach, which means presence or energy or vitality. So you have the presence and the energy and the vitality and the life of God hovering over the waters. And I love this. The, the word hovering in Hebrew is one of those words that clears out the back of your throat. It's the word rachaf, and it means moving. It means shaking, it means 
fluttering. And maybe you, you've, you've maybe ever, every now and then if you turn on something or, or things that have like a lot of energy or a lot of power, a lot of vitality, like, like they put off this kind of vibration or, or this hum. Like I used to play music in a band and, and back in, in the day the thing was to get the biggest amplifier you, you could that was humanly possible, right? And so you got the most powerful amplifier, the, most, the biggest speakers you could find. And the cool thing about it was like you turned that sucker on and it went hum, you're like, yeah, right? Like that was the thing that was like, it would just hum with all of that power and all of that, like, you know, like the, that's what we're talking about. When it says that the, that, the, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the water, it's that power, it's that hum, it's that vibration, right? That, man, there's something here, there's energy here. So over this formless and lifeless void, there's this humming and powerful and energetic spirit, this presence of God that's moving over a formless and lifeless void. Now, let's get real nerdy for a minute, okay? Like let's, way back in the, in the second century, there was a man named Theophilus of Antioch, and he was the, the guy that, that first kind of crafted the phrase that eventually would kind of go on to become the, the description or doctrine of creation. It's the Latin phrase, creatio ex nihilo, which sounds a lot like a Harry Potter spell, Right? But here's what that means. It means creation out of nothing. When we look at this moment of creation, everything that was created wasn't created from spare parts or things sitting around. When we look at creation, everything that was created was created out of nothing, right? This idea states that matter and the material world were created by God from nothing, from a formless void. And that initial cosmic moment of creation. And so here's what I, what I learned. I went deep down this rabbit hole this week, and so you're just going to come with me, right? So the things that, that are made of matter, things that are material, that's where we get that word, material and matter, that, that find their same roots, right? Things that are, are made of matter, things that are material are things that we can see. And matter, we can see, we can touch, we can feel. Things that are material, we can interact with. And here's why it's important for us to know this. We process, human beings, we process and explain and understand and typically make sense of the world around us through a material lens. We can make sense of things if we understand them. That's why Jesus spoke in parables. Like he would tell stories about things that people understood to point to truths about God that were supernatural. That's why we use object lessons. That's why we, we use things that are tangible to explain other things. A.W. Tozer was a pastor and a preacher in Chicago back in the 1950s, and he wrote a book called How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. I recommend it. It's awesome. But in it, he says this, matter is one mode of being, and all material things have certain characteristics. Things that are material, things that are matter-based, have weight and dimension and shape and extension. Those are all things, he says, that belong to matter. That is one mode of being and existing. But catch this, okay? Tozer says that, that matter and material, that's just one way of being and one way of existing. He doesn't say that's the mode of existence. He says it's a mode of existence. He goes on to say this, spirit is another mode of being. Spirit is a specific and, and identifiable substance. If not definable, it can still be described. Spirit is as real as matter, but it's another mode of being than matter. Yet, it is just as authentic as matter. 
And I love this because Tozer goes on to kind of explain the difference in these two different modes of being and existing, matter and spirit, material and spiritual. He says this, matter bumps up against other matter and stops. But spirit can penetrate anything and everything. He says in the same way that a material mind, our brains can be penetrated by by thought, which is immaterial, the same way that material molecules in the air can be penetrated by light, all things matter and material can be penetrated by spirit. So let's jump back into this creation story. Right, verse 2 of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is present, moving over this formless and lifeless void. And then God begins to speak things into, existent, into ex- existence, things that didn't exist before now exist. But what we learn from the, from the scripture is that the Holy Spirit was the one in the process of creation that gave creation life. The Holy Spirit penetrates the void and brings form and order out of formless chaos in this creation account. When God made Adam, we read this in Genesis 2, right? That that Adam was just a lump of clay until God breathed the breath of life, the ruah, into Adam's nostrils. The supernatural Holy Spirit of God penetrated the material flesh of Adam. And it was then that Genesis 2 says, it was when the spirit entered, the spiritual entered the material, it was in that moment that Genesis 2 says, the man became a living being. Prior to that moment, he was just a lump of clay. But here's what we learn is the ruah, the presence, and the spirit of God is what moves through matter and moves through the material and brings life and motion, and action, and vitality, and and energy to creation. Matt Chandler says this, that the Holy Spirit is the agent of creation. And I love that. Right on. Me too. Everything material, right? Here's what we know. Everything material was born through and given life by the supernatural Holy Spirit of God. Romans 1, 19 and 20 tells us this. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Who's them? Us. What, can, what, what is to be known about God is plain to see. Why? Because God's shown it to us. His invisible traits and attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, his Holy Spirit, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Where? In the things that have been made. So like when you go to the beach and you see a beautiful sunset, that's the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the presence of the Holy Spirit who, who spoke and, and, and brought life into creation. You know, when you stand on mountaintops and you look at mountain ranges, when you see things that are, when you see a child born, that is the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in and through all of creation. The Holy Spirit is woven into the fabric of everything. The spiritual and the supernatural exists within the material and the physical. Tozer says it like this, the Holy Spirit is a being Dwelling in another mode of existence, he has not weight, not measure, not size, nor color, but he nevertheless exists as surely as you do. So that's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is is spiritual. He is spirit. He is another way of existing, the same as you and I, just as real as you and I. We are matter. We are material. We are physical. He is spiritual. We are real, and so is he. So the question is this, right? I want to wrap up today, kind of land the plane today by unpacking this next question. Who is the Holy Spirit? Number one, the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. 
right? Again, in, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament word for, for Holy Spirit is the word ruah. In the New Testament, the word is pneuma, right? Both words are masculine. He's a he, not an it. Not just an essence, not just an attitude. He is a person. And, and, and really, check this out, right? Tozer says this, so that's number two. The Holy Spirit is a person. Not only is he, he's not an it, he's a he. And number two, he's a person. Tozer says this, he says, write it down in all caps. He says, the Holy Spirit has will and intelligence and feeling and knowledge and sympathy, the ability to live and see and think and hear and speak and desire the same as any person has. Francis Chan in his book called The Forgotten God says this, not seeing the Holy Spirit as a person and as personal is a very serious misunderstanding because we're called to be in a relationship with the Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is impersonal, there can be no personal relationship with God. So just to recap, the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. And the Holy Spirit is a person, not just an attitude, not just an essence, not just a symbol. He is a person. And then number three, and this is where smoke might be coming out of our ears, the Holy Spirit is God. See, our, our women's crew on Wednesday nights, they're, they're working their way through this thing called the Nicene Creed. It's about 1,650 years old. It's a statement of faith, right? Adventure as a church, we've got a statement of faith. Like, here's what we believe. There's this old, old, old statement of faith, right, 1,600 years old, that says this, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, which proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified. So back in the third century, right, this is what, what our forefathers, this is what the people who were trying to work all this stuff out way back in the day, this is what they came up with. So I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit that comes from the Father and the Son, but with the Father and the Son together are to be worshiped and glorified, which means this. It's not like when you think of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's not like, well, God the Father gets the gold, Jesus gets the silver, and the Spirit gets the bronze. Like there's first, second, third place. It's not like that. They're all 100% God. See, about 300 years after the Nicene Creed, there's this thing called the Athanasian Creed. I told you we were going to get nerdy. And it says this. It says, such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. They're the same. Each are 100% God. Equal. And so there used to be this way of explaining this. I can think back to maybe, you know, 80s or 90s kids. You remember this growing up in, in youth group when, like, your youth pastor tried to explain the Holy Spirit. They would have used one of two examples. One is an egg, right? Like an egg has three parts. It has the shell and the yolk and the white, but it's all one thing, right? That's how, that's how the Trinity works, right? God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's like an egg. It's got three parts, but it's all one thing. Or maybe it was like water, like water was the other really popular example. Like they, that came around more like late 90s when youth ministry got really advanced and we stopped using overhead projectors, right? We, we got real smart, which is like, hey, it's not just like an egg. It's like water. Water can exist in three states, right? It's liquid. It's solid, ice. It's vapor, gas. Like that's like the Trinity. It's like, it's like water. It's like it can exist in three different states, but it's all the same thing. Those are terrible analogies. They're terrible like, we didn't know what we were doing back in that day, right? But here's where our brains are going to start to overheat. The reason those are terrible analogies is because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all 100% God, but they are also all separate and different from one another. Right? They, they've all been that way since the beginning of time. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit 
existed before time began. The Father, Son, and the Spirit existed together outside of time and outside of, of creation. It's not a hierarchy. Like I said before, it's not like God the Father is the CEO, right? Like the Son is the, is the COO and the Spirit's the CFO. It's not like that, right? It's not this, this org chart. Here's the truth. The Father is 100% God. The Son is 100% God. And the Spirit is 100% God. Each separate from one another, independent from one another, but united in their will and desire. Let's get visual with this. Like Again, sometimes it helps us to kind of understand this. So when you think back to the creation story, right, the creation narrative, right, here's what you have. You have God the Father is the architect and designer of creation. Like God the Father is the architect and designer of creation. The Son, we read in Scripture, was the foreman. See, in creation, God uses, has this blueprint, has this architect, and has this design. But, but what the Bible tells us is that through Jesus' voice, everything was created. So Jesus, when we read God speaking things into creation, in the, in the creation account, that's actually Jesus speaking. Right, which makes sense that the physical form of God would speak things physically into existence. So you have God that's the architect and designer. You have Son that's kind of the foreman, right? He's the guy that's in charge of the building site. But then you have the Spirit that's the actual builder. Now here's the thing. You look at this. He's the one that brought creation to life, right? They're separate people, but they're united in their purpose and desire. They wanted to create. Now here's the thing. Are any one of those more important than the other in the building process? Not a rhetorical question. No, they're not. They are all needed to help bring creation into existence, right? Could creation exist if one of them didn't show up? No. You have to have all three working together in order for creation to work. Here's another one, all right? We have God, who is our Father, Right, God is our father, and, and, and our father, this is one of those things, like when you were a kid, like you ever got a fight with like a neighbor, you're like, my dad can beat up your dad, right? This is one of those moments. We have a father. Our father happens to be the king of the universe, right? My dad can beat up your dad, right? He's the king of the universe. We have the son who gets his identity from the father, just like we do. I mean, we get our identity from our parents. We get our identity from our father. The son gets his identity from the father, right? There's a moment in, in one of Jesus' biographies where God looks down at Jesus and says, this is my son whom I love and who I am pleased with. So for us, our dad's the king of the universe. He has a son, Jesus. Jesus gets his identity from the father. So do we. We get our identity from Jesus, and then we have the Spirit that brings this all into a relationship together. And this is going to blow your mind. It's not like I have Brad's version. There's, like, there's Brad McMahon's version of the Holy Spirit. And then there's Casey's version of the Holy Spirit. And there's Matt's version of the Holy Spirit. And there's Morgan's version of the Holy Spirit. And there's Sean's version of the Holy Spirit. People are like, don't make eye contact right now, right? It's not like there, there is one Spirit, it's not Brad's Holy Spirit, which is kind of different from Matt's, which is kind of different from Sean's, which is kind of different from Casey's. There's one Holy Spirit that moves and, and lives and exists within all of us that brings us all into relationship together with the Father and with the Son. And here's another one. We can go one more, right? See, the Father, like you said, is the King. And because the Son is the Son of the King, because we are also children of God, that means we are heirs. That means we are royal heirs to the king of the universe. We are part of that royal family, which means this, the spirit gives us authority and power. 
Just like Jesus says, the, the same authority, all, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus then commissions us with that same authority to go make disciples. So because our dad is the king of the universe, and because Jesus, his son, makes us sons and daughters of the king, we have the same authority and power living within us that Jesus has to make disciples of everyone. We couldn't do that if the Holy Spirit was not 100% God. Romans 8:14 says this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption and so, as sons and daughters of God, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We could call out to God in this intimate way. Abba was not a word that you would use to refer to your father as sir. It was not a formal response to a father. It was intimate. It was like calling God daddy, papa. We can have an intimate relationship with our father. The spirit himself, Paul says, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When those things, when those spirit, the, the spirit of, of the, the tangible spirit and physical spirit of our world, the cultural spirit, tries to tell you that you're worthless, tries to tell you that you're damaged goods, tries to, tries to tell you that you'll never add up, that you'll always fail, that, you'll, that no one will ever love you. The spirit, what it does is it testifies, right, with our spirit. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. The spirit bears witness. A witness is someone who brings proof. The spirit reminds us constantly of who we are. That we are children of God, if we are children, then heirs. And if heirs of God, we are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, right? Which means just because we have the Holy Spirit, life is not going to be easy. We suffer with him in order that we, almost, we may also be glorified, power and authority. We may share in the power and authority and glory of Jesus. Ephesians 1, Paul says this, in him, Jesus, we've obtained an inheritance, We've been predestined according to the purpose of him, the Father, who works all things out according to the counsel, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. And in him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee who is the inheritance until we acquire the possession of it, the power and authority to the praise of the Father's glory. The Holy Spirit is who reminds us who we are. He is the guarantee that God is who he says he is. He is the guarantee that Jesus is who he says he is. And he's the guarantee that the Father and the Son and the Spirit together will do all that they have promised so church, here's where I want to land, right? If the Spirit was not 100% God, then he could not make us sons and daughters of God. He couldn't give us an existence and a life as adopted children of the King of the universe. He couldn't bear witness to the fact that we are the sons and daughters of God. He couldn't give us the power and authority of Jesus to make disciples in this life now, and then also give us the guarantee of this future glory that we are expect, the future life, the forever life that is to come. But if he's not, if he's not 100% God, then he can't do that. See, the Holy Spirit is 100% God, and because of that, we are heirs to the King. 
Holy Spirit bears witness to our true identity that comes from the Father and through the Son. The Holy Spirit gives us power and authority to exist in a broken and fallen world in the same way that Jesus did. And the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that life on this side of heaven is only practice for eternity. So we have to reclaim, church. We have to reclaim the spiritual and supernatural aspects of our faith and our faithfulness because this is how we were meant to live. If you look back into the first century church, the people outside of the church looked at the first century church and said, those are some weird people, but we love them. Right, Acts 1 and 2, which we're going to get into here in a couple of weeks, it says this, that that, that people looked upon the, the church daily with favor. They looked upon them and and liked them. Why? Because they saw in this group of people, you don't live like everybody else. What's different? The Holy Spirit. We know who we are and whose we are. The Holy Spirit, we, we are gifted with the power and authority to share the name of Jesus. We we are gifted with the power and authority that we don't have to worry about the stuff that the world worries about. We don't have to be insecure as it relates to our eternity and our life. You look back at the the first century church, they they sold their houses, they sold their stuff. It says that they held everything in common, which means that they took everything that they owned, put it in a pile and said, hey, if anybody needs anything, take it. And if we can sell it and make money, we'll do that and give to people that have need. And no one had need. No one wondered where their next meal was coming from. No one wondered where, whether they're going to have a roof over their head. No one worried whether or not someone was going to care about them. They knew that. Why? Because they didn't have to worry about the other stuff, the stuff that the world worries about because of the Holy Spirit being active and alive in their life. We have to reclaim the spiritual and supernatural. Without that, we have no real hope. Without stepping into the spiritual and supernatural and getting a little weird, you'll always feel hopeless. You'll always feel joyless. You will always struggle against the spiritual struggles, the supernatural struggles that want to steal and kill and destroy you because your eyes are closed to where the problems really come from and where the hope really is. I want to close with quote from Tozer. In one of the chapters in his book, he tells the story of a man and a woman that came to his church from another church because they they wanted to be healed from illness. They'd been sick for a long time. This illness had kind of lingered on and on and on. And so they came to, to Tozer's church to be healed. And he said that when he talked to them, he knew the church that they came from and he knew the pastor at the church that they came from. And he knew that that pastor believed in the Holy Spirit. But the man and the woman that came to Tozer, they said they never heard the Spirit preached about or talked about in that church. And so they came to A.W. Tozer and his church because they knew maybe there, maybe there there's an opportunity to find healing. And here's what he says. He says, he, this other pastor, believes in the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't teach it. And you don't, and what you don't believe in, you don't teach strongly enough. And so it does you no good. He says, it's the same with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Evangelical Christianity believes it, or at least one third of it does, but nobody experiences it. He says, he, the Holy Spirit, lies under snow forgotten. He says, I'm praying that God may be able to melt away the ice from this blessed truth and let it spring up alive again, that the church and the people may hear and may get some good out of it and not merely say, I believe, while the Spirit lay buried under the snow of inactivity, and non-attention. 
And so church, as the weather gets colder outside, it's gonna get hotter in here because we are gonna melt away the ice and the snow that has covered the Holy Spirit for so long so that we can step more fully into the life that God desires for us and Jesus makes possible for us and the Holy Spirit empowers us to live. So come back next week and the week after and the week after to hear more. Today, my hope is you just walk out of here going, well, you know what? Now at least I know what the Holy Spirit is and more importantly, who. And that it's not, it's not about inactivity or non-attention. Maybe now I can start paying attention to things that are spiritual and supernatural in my life because they're real. There are evil spirits. There are spirits that want to get at your heart, to get at your marriage, to get at your friendships, to get at your relationships, to get at your conscience, to get at your insecurity, to get at your fear and your anxiety. There are evil spirits that want to tear you down, but there is a Holy Spirit, the power and presence of God that is unlike any other. So today, if you want to join our church, if you want to learn more about what it means to be a part of the venture, I'd love to meet you down front. If you want to accept Jesus, maybe you've never done that. You want to follow in Jackson Dorsey's footsteps today and trust Jesus with your life and receive the Holy Spirit. I'd love to chat with you about that. If you need prayer today, I'd love to pray with you. Or if you just want to spend some time praying at the foot of the cross, you can do that. But let's pray, and then we're going to worship together. Jesus, we love you. And today, Lord, we want to lean into your Spirit which is alive and active and living, not just among us, but within us, not just with us or beside us, but within us. We don't wanna ignore the supernatural anymore, Father. We wanna pay attention to it. We don't want it to lie buried under snow, Lord. We want it to spring to life, not just in us, but in our families and in our marriages and in our relationships with our kids and in schools and in all around the world, Father. We want your spirit and your presence to become active because when that happens, Lord, the movement of Jesus is born is unstoppable. Spirit, would you empower us not to live lives, like it says here, that, that fall back into this fear of slavery, but, but, but a new life, the with God life, that doesn't have to worry about the things that the world worries about, that doesn't have to fear insecurity the same way the world does, but is secure, not because of what we have, but because of who we have, and because of who we are, and because of who the Spirit makes us. Jesus, I pray today that there would be a powerful experience, a powerful moment, a feeling of that which is spiritual moving through that which is material. May we feel in our chests and in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds your spirit. Jesus, let's get weird. So you're going to pray. Amen.